Father, we worship you. We declare again that there is none like you. Your name truly is hallowed, and there is no one and nothing that compares to you, to your majesty, to your greatness, to your glory, to your grace. Father, we thank you for this time that we could worship you again, and we long to see you high and lifted up. Father, as we meditate upon your word right now, we ask that you yourself would come and communicate your truth to us, that you would be meeting with us, whether it be here in this auditorium or at home in our homes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So good evening to you all and happy Valentine's Day. Um, I've pulled out the reddest top that I own to wear. Um, and I hope that for you guys, if you have, um, you know, what they call in the movies a love interest, <laughs> if your love interest um, showed you some interest today, I hope it was great. I know that there were some people who got chocolates and flowers who will remain nameless. Um, to the ladies, let me say to you, um, if the guy that you are into doesn't laugh at your fruit jokes, then you need to let that man go. And, and to the guys, if, uh, if she didn't take you out on a date, don't worry about it, because Adam and Eve didn't have a date either. Uh, they had an apple. So, welcome. Good evening, guys. This evening, we're going to continuing in our series on worship, and I trust that this evening will add another layer to the depth of our understanding of worship as we praise and worship God and seek to have his kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So last week we spoke about the presence of God and we looked at a deeper understanding of God's presence and how that relates to worship. Today we're going to be looking at another aspect and this aspect relates to worship and witness. Now, for Christians, I think that Christians worship God at church every week, whether it even is on this platform that we are using right now. But I think that there are still some believers who aren't exactly sure what worship is or why they do it. And, and so for some believers and followers, worship may be to them kind of like a warm-up for the sermon um, for others, it might be a me and Jesus moment. But worship, as we've discovered in the, in the last few weeks, is a lot more than that. And worship is also celebration. A celebration that is to be experienced and a celebration to be shared. And this morning and this evening at least, we're going to look at this relationship between worship and witness. And in doing so, we're going to be looking at Psalm chapter 40 and verse 3. Josh, you can throw up that first slide for us. And this is what Psalm verses chapter 40 and verse 3 says. It's a psalm of David. And David says in verse 3, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in in him. You can go on to the next slide there, Josh. Now, here's a rhetorical question for you. How many of you guys have been to the top of Table Mountain? 
okay, virtually about half, half of the people here have said that they've been up to the top of Table Mountain. Now, I've been a number of times, and no two occasions have been the same. It seems like there's something very particular and special about Table Mountain. You know, and, and we know that people from other provinces in the country tease us as Capetonians about this relationship of awe that we have with this mountain, this iconic um, element of Cape Town's being. Do you know, but, but proof of how special Table Mountain is, is that every year thousands and thousands of tourists spend thousands of rands and euros and dollars to travel from wherever they are to come to South Africa and to enjoy the splendor that exists. And Table Mountain forms a very important part of that. And we know that tourism also adds about 140 billion rand to the country's GDP as well. And so these tourists willingly come to view the eighth wonder of the world. And when tourists do come, they come with their, with their cameras and they look to be taking that one image, that picture that when they arrive back home will take them back to the moment when they were standing and viewing Table Mountain, interacting with this, with this amazing, iconic structure. And these tourists will also want to hike along the trails, and they'll want to stand on the top of Table Mountain and look down at the city to be further amazed. And then they'll go into the souvenir shop where my eyes watered and I fell faint at the price of some of these souvenirs that are there, and they will spend money to buy these souvenirs. And so for them, we could say that they are pilgrims in awe of the mountain with a worship-like quality. And for them, we could say that they had witnessed something very powerful, something from beyond themselves, something that they will always remember, and very importantly, something that they will tell others about. And I think also, if I, if I dream about it, that the first people who lived on this soil, who lived here in Klui Taib, which is what Cape Town was called before the settlers arrived, arrived would also have been at awe in Hurikwaho, which is what they would have called Table Mountain. And so they would have been so in awe in the space, Hurikwaho, that they would have wanted to leave something behind. And so we find rock paintings telling of their experience that bears witness to this amazing place and their being here. And so they would also have had a reverence for this place that gave them all that they needed. Now I think that the same dynamic should occur when we come to worship God. There ought to be this awe and this wonder and this excitement about meeting with the God of the universe. We ought to desire to witness the spectacular hand of God at work. And I think we are supposed to witness something in the same way that those tourists witness something that they feel is beyond themselves. And so I think we are to be in awe. We are to be spellbound, amazed, mesmerized by 
the life-giving, life-flowing power of God. And also, we should then also be motivated to tell others about what we have experienced. And so what Table Mountain does for the tourists in Cape Town, our worship of God should do for those who witness us worshiping him. In the psalm that we read there, David wrote, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So what we see here, I think, in this psalm could be what we could call two profound elements of worship. And they are firstly celebration and secondly proclamation. And celebration could be seen as a vertical dimension, this up-down dimension. When you read through the whole psalm, you see that David had had an experience with God. He had been in trouble, and by the first line of the psalm, we see that he had spent time patiently waiting upon the Lord. You know, a lot of the time that there are instances where we have to wait for something for a long time, And when it finally does come, it tastes so much sweeter. And I think this was the truth for David. And so David had been waiting, and then God had rescued him and refreshed him. And in that experience, David had experienced the presence of God in his life. He was changed, and he couldn't be silent about it. He sung praise to God. He says, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Now, if you know God personally today, then you think back to that moment when you made that commitment, and you would remember a moment of excitement, a moment of awe, a moment for yourself that would have been a glorious moment. And I think that that kind of captures how David felt in this moment when he wrote this psalm. David was enthusiastic in song, and he was enthusiastic in praise. He was excited. He couldn't contain his joy. He couldn't contain his happiness. He couldn't contain his relief. And so he had to shout and sing. Now, all of the psalms in the book of Psalms that are there were actually designed to be sung. Kind of sounds like that would be a difficult thing to do, but Believe me, it sounds different in Hebrew. And singing is an important spiritual expression. Singing is mentioned 68 times in the book of Psalms. And we sing for enjoyment. And we know that God invented music for pleasure. And so we should feel free to listen and to sing for the joy of it. But then also we sing to praise. We sing to exalt the truth, to exalt the beauty and the goodness and the majesty of God. And when we look at the psalm, we see that David also says that he wasn't just singing any old song. It was a new song. There was a freshness and a newness to his experience with God. It was as though he was seeing God again for the first time but in a different light. Furthermore, David's singing was praiseful. It was worshipful. 
David was expressing a song of gratitude to God for who he is, for what he said, and what he was doing. And David knew that the source of his good fortune was no one other than God himself. And so I think that, when we consider that element within the psalm, describes for us this vertical dimension. But then there's also the proclamation that we could call a horizontal dimension. Just as there is this vertical dimension to worship, there is also this horizontal dimension. David said, many will see, which could mean that many will know that know about God's presence. And then he said, and fear, which could mean or revere and be awed by him and put their trust in the Lord or find security in the Lord. And so as David praised God, many people saw it. And they didn't just hear him sing, they didn't just hear him praise, they saw him praising. And in turn, the same security that David found in God, they too could find that same security and so join David in worship. David's joy before the Lord was his witness and the potential was there for it to be infectious. I have a very good friend who I never mentioned the word, the name Jesus to. I never spoke to him about God. But there was a moment when he was driving with me in my car and I was playing some worship music and we were on our way somewhere and on the way back, he actually asked me about that. And it was an opening, an opportunity that had been created through my desire to listen to praise, to listen to worship for me to witness to my friend. Now I trust that it's clear to all of us, that we don't worship just at church here. You know, I think worship ought to be this constant attitude and activity of our lives as dedicated believers. At church here, or, or even when you are at home or with others in a worship, at a worship event, we worship publicly and corporately. And when the church gathers to worship, it also is gathering to witness. Worship always includes witness. We can teach each other about the glory of God and what he does even through song. I can still remember certain truths about God, certain doctrines about God that I learned through Sunday school songs. And so when people far from God hear those people who are close to God giving heartfelt praise to God, when they see heartfelt worship, they are intrigued. I think there's this mystery. There's this wonder. There's this marvel, this awe about worshiping God. And so for people who witness this, like my friend, they would ask questions in their minds and in their hearts of people who are witnessing. They may ask, why do you even bother doing that? Or how does that happen? Or why does that happen? 
sparks from the fire of our worship ignites dry hearts, causing them to sing a new song and to sing praise to God. And so we pray that when those people who have been witnesses to worship in all its different ways and different forms find themselves in a position that is similar to the position that David was in, we hope that they will call upon the name of the Lord in the way that, Jesus, that David did. There's that saying that goes, be careful how you live. You may be the only Bible someone ever reads. And also live in such a way that others will want to know why. So I think what we can learn from Psalm 40 and verse 3 is this. But you know, when we look at the Bible, there is throughout the Bible a close and a vibrant relationship between worship and witness. And it's reflected in two possible ways. So again, people far from God are drawn to Jesus through worship. And people close to God are compelled to share the message of the gospel out of worship. Spiritually lost people can be drawn to Christ through worship. Go to the next slide now, Josh. Paul told the, the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 24 and, 40 and 25, to worship in such a clear way that if an unbeliever entered into the space where they were worshipping, that they would be challenged and convicted. And then in John chapter 12 and verse 32, Jesus stated, As for me, if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Now while Jesus' words predict his death, it still communicates to us, I believe, volumes about worship. When Jesus is lifted up in praise and worship, lost people are attracted and pointed to him. And then in Psalm 57 and verse 9, David cited again this evangelistic attraction of honest worship when he said, I will praise you, Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. When God's people experience the presence of God, when they meet God engaging their hearts, their lives are changed and consequently lost people are drawn into God's presence as well. And so those who don't know him yet will want what those who do know him have. William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, used to say, if a church was on fire for God, people for miles would come to watch it burn. That sounds a bit awkward, but to paraphrase what he was saying, I think he said that if believers experience the fire of God's worship, then lost people would be drawn to God like a moth is drawn to flames. And then when we look at the Bible, we see also a correlation between people encountering God through worship and then the effect that it has on their lives as they went out to share Christ. 
I personally know of people who have had life-changing encounters through worship experiences with God that has touched them so profoundly that their lives have been set on a different path. I'd like to look at us as we come to the end, a few biblical examples of what that looks like. So you can put up that slide, Josh, of Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. Isaiah was commissioned to go and speak to his people only after he saw the Lord in worship. Isaiah saw, he heard, and he responded. If I think he had not entered into worship, he may very well have missed the calling of God upon his life. And then the next slide is the, the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 to 20. Very now, well, well-known verse. I think that the Great Commission is actually the church's heartbeat for existence. It transforms individual believers like you and me and the church to go and to tell other people about Jesus. But you, if we look at the text and we read all of it, we see that the context in which this command was given, the Great Commission, we see that it was given in a worship encounter. The Great Commission was given following a time of worship. The disciples saw Jesus and they worshipped him. And the point there is, I think, that it was in this context of worship that these men received God's clear call to go into the entire earth and to tell others about him. And the last slide there is Acts chapter 2, which tells us about the, the day of Pentecost. Now we could say that those 120 disciples were singing a new song, and the result was that many put their trust in the Lord. 3,000 at least, if you follow for the rest of the chapter. The disciples worshipped, people heard, people saw, and they came to faith in Jesus. And something that we could say is that those early Christians evangelized almost by accident. Evangelism was something that sprang from their worship. And they witnessed to others even though they were not aware of it. And so their worship witnessed to the awesome display of God's presence and his power. And unbelievers were drawn to Jesus through their worship, and in turn, their worship compelled them to tell others about him. Those, these wholehearted worshipers called the whole world to wholehearted worship. And we could describe the relationship like this, if you truly meet God, you will worship. And if you truly worship, others will be drawn to God. And as you are drawn to God, you are compelled to witness for Jesus. There's this cycle that exists that God has, des has designed for us. And so how do we respond today? What do we take away from this I think when you have a time to worship, the first thing is this, come to celebrate. And come as you are. Come with your troubles. 
Come with your anxieties. Come with your fears. Come with your cares. But then celebrate God's gift of life, God's gift of mercy and grace, God's touch of forgiveness, God's power to lift you out from where you have been stuck, and God's provision to set you on firm footing. And then sing a new song. Sing a hymn of praise. So that's the first point. Come to celebrate. And then secondly, tell others about the experience. As worshipers, as followers of Jesus, we don't just enjoy God's presence for ourselves. So invite people to join you at worship, as awkward as that sounds. Call others to join you on the mountaintop of worship, to come into God's presence, to stand before God's throne. So in conclusion, be a worshiper, but also be a witness. Be someone who is drawn into God's presence, but also one who is willing to be sent out into the world. And so just like people will tell others about Table Mountain and the wonder of what it is, Let's tell others about the wonder of Jesus, the one who created Table Mountain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you call us, that you draw us like a good father. Thank you that you bring us into your presence and that you allow us to come before your throne and that we can worship you, Lord. And Father, as we continue to think about what it means to be witnesses for you, as we continue to find ourselves being challenged about telling others about who you are, we ask, Lord, that you would come and strengthen us. And even in the season of difficulty, the season of challenge, where we struggle to even be in the presence of others, Lord, we ask that you would be at work even there that your Holy Spirit would be drawing men to you when we lift you up in praise and in worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.